Now, I just want to say, I thought last Sunday was just glorious. I love Easter. I know you do too. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no greater highlight than Easter Sunday when we get to proclaim he is risen, he is risen indeed. But you know, I was thinking about this, that as Christians, and part of our theology of worship is that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is an opportunity to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord and the hope that we have in him who conquered death on our behalf that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to resume our journey through the Gospel of John. And we're, we're not quite yet to the empty tune in, in the Gospel of John. We're on the night that he was betrayed. And this is a really meaty time in John's Gospel. And it lasts for several chapters. In the farewell discourse, it's called. And a lot of teaching, a lot of powerful things that Jesus is going to communicate to his disciples. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Last week, uh, there in the upper room, not last week, two weeks ago, uh, Judas walked out with the intent of betraying Jesus. That's kind of where the action left us. And so we're going to pick up the story right there, right after Judas leaves. And our scripture today will be John 13, 31 and 32. And the Morrises, Linda and James, will be reading scripture for us. Hi, I'm Pat. I'm Linda. And we are the Morrises. We joined Colonial February 12th and have been attending online services only. We have connected with the Sunday School class and hope to be in person soon. We're reading the scripture, John 13, 31 through 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Season. Bless be the reading of God's word. Church, will you pray with me? Lord, as we gather this morning to contemplate the words that you have spoken, they, they speak in a heavenly language. It's a, a, an ethereal language of glorification. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to really understand what it is that you just said, why it matters, how it applies to our lives, our circumstances, and, and even some of the challenges that we're facing today. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the joy and the hope of Easter. But now, Lord, we, we pray that we would come back and re- revisit so much of the powerful teaching that you gave on this night before, um, before the crucifixion and before the empty tomb, and that we would take these things to heart. We thank you. We, we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to us personally today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know. Only two verses. I'm a slow reader. What can I say? But church, listen. The temptation here is to skip over this lofty proclamation of our Lord because either we assume that we know what he means, or even if we don't, we're pretty sure it won't apply to the mess of our everyday lives. Don't do that. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. What Jesus says here is very encouraging, it's profound, it's ironic, and extremely practical, in my opinion, regarding your life and mine. And I can't wait to show you that. So the title of my message really is ironic. It is The Glory of the Cross. The glory of the cross. And I've organized my thoughts under three subheadings, predictably. Number one, the significant now. Number two, the threefold glory. And, of course, number three, why it matters. Okay, let's begin with number one, the significant now. 
Uh, If I were to ask you, if I were to ask you what events in your life brought you glory, you think back over your life, what events, what honors, uh, what victories, what awards brought you high renown and admiration in the eyes of others? How would you answer that question? I mean, truthfully, for most of us, that is not a hard question because we remember those times. We love to talk about those times. Those are like high points in our lives. Uh, you know, for me, I would, I would point back to my junior year in college at Wake Forest University. Um, I loved theater. I was a big theater guy. And so my junior year, I had the opportunity to play the lead role of, of the main stage musical. It's a big show of the year. It was Gilbert and Sullivan's uh, comedic musical called Iolanthe. I played the role of the Lord Chancellor. It was really a, a role of a lifetime for me. It, the role required tremendous energy, creativity, wit, musicality, and even dancing skills, which was a challenge. Uh, but the show was, was really, a, I mean, it's not an easy show, but it, it gave this character quite a, an opportunity to shine. There was this impossible patter song with like a million words and it went at breakneck speed. And then at the end of the show, there was kind of a, a showstopper song and dance act. And every night we did the show, there was, there was such a, an applause about that that we would do multiple encores of it. It was really quite exciting for me. And, you know, when the, uh, the newspapers did the reviews of the show, both the, the newspaper, the college, and the you know, Winston-Salem Journal there. Uh, you know, I received pretty rave reviews from my performance. And yes, somebody had those uh, clippings uh, laminated, and they are still somewhere in my house. So, you know, we, we like to get a little bit of glory. It feels good to get some glory, especially when you've worked really hard and maybe achieved a goal or, or performed your best. And I, I remember that. It was a special time in my life. So when we think about those things that bring us glory, we immediately think of those times when we shined by winning or excelling above all the rest. And that's how glory typically works in our world. We still tend to glorify the winners, right? We glorify people like LeBron James, maybe as the greatest basketball player of all time. I know that's debatable. Uh, we often glorify certain actresses or actors because they're pretty, they're beautiful, or they're, they did a compelling job uh, portraying a role in a movie. We glorify musicians by the mere beauty of their voices and how many records they sell and all of that. You know, when we think about Jesus of Nazareth, and here's a guy who should have received tremendous glory for a lot of different reasons. I mean, he, he, he was celebrated by God himself at his baptism. That doesn't happen very often. He fed over 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. Here's a man who healed the lame, restored the lepers, brought sight to the blind, and even raised the dead. He, he was transfigured into a heavenly being of pure light and, uh, and magnificence in the Mount of Transfiguration. But notice, it is not until now, here at this moment in John 13:31. Just moments after his dear friend Judas left to betray him to his death, that Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. (laughs) Why now? What is it about Judas leaving to betray Jesus that leads our Lord to announce, now is the Son of Man glorified? 
You know, after all, this was actually the darkest hour in the life of Jesus. Judas had gone out to commit treachery. Satan's agenda was falling perfectly into place to have Jesus snuffed out once and for all. The chief priests were scheming and plotting on how to have Jesus executed. Soon Jesus would be bound in chains, stripped, beaten, mocked, spat upon, flogged, and crucified. So what is the significance of now? Can you see it? The match has been struck. The chain reaction has begun the minute that Judas walks out of that door. Because Judas' betrayal will lead to the rest of Jesus, which will lead to the cross. This is exactly what Jesus means when he says, now. He is pointing to the cross. He's been pointing to it all along. This is... His hour, it is his time. The cross will be the source of his glory. Now there's irony there. The glory of the Son of Man will not be in his miracles or his sonship or his mastery of the sea. The cross will bring glory to Jesus. Now this symbol of shame, of torture, this means of his public execution is not inherently something that's beautiful. In fact, historically, prior to Jesus, was exactly the opposite. Uh, But it is going to be this cross that's going to be the source of his glory. That's why he's saying now, the cross will also be the means by which he brings glory to the Father. The cross will be the means by which the Father brings glory to the Son. And Jesus is so sure of exactly that which will be accomplished by the cross at this moment, that he employs what biblical scholars call the prophetic perfect. If you're familiar with parts of speech, the perfect tense is it is accomplished, it's done, it's over. So he says, now is, now is the Son of Man glorified. Not soon to be, but it's already a done deal, it's a fact. So because this declaration is so ironic, so counterintuitive, we must devote ourselves to understanding what it means, and then we shall consider why it matters. So let me turn now to my second subheading, the threefold glory. If you, if you just these two sentences, you listen to it, Jesus actually predicts a threefold glory due to the cross. He states, first, the Son of Man will be glorified. Second, the Son of Man will bring glory to the Father. And third, Three, that in bringing glory to the Father, the Father will glorify the Son in himself and do so immediately. So let me just quickly come on, on each of these expressions of glory. First, Jesus states, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, we've, we've already noted that glory in, in our world is typically associated with successful, you know, successful performances, not crucifixions. So there's an ironic tension in what Jesus is saying. And we should note that the ironic tension is found throughout the gospel. And I, this is the first thing I want to say. Is that when we read the New Testament, the cross is often a great threat and, and creates a great sense of lament, even for Jesus. So if you, we just need a balanced reading. So if you look at like Luke 12:50, Jesus laments, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's not talking about his baptism. He's already been baptized. He's talking about the cross. And it's causing him anxiety and distress until it's just over. Jesus lamented again over the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we know when he prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And he prays with such earnestness that he sweats like drops of blood, right? 
So keep a balance. Jesus did not look at the cross lightly. I mean, he dreaded, he hated the cross. Yet here in John's account, just hours before his betrayal and arrest, he has this moment of clarity, this moment of hopefulness, this moment of conviction that he has received from the Father that now the Son of Man will be glorified. So our old friend and commentator, Alexander McLaren, observes two ways that the cross brings glory to Jesus. And there's at least two, but these are the two that he points out. The cross reveals the heart of Christ. And two, the cross serves as the throne of our Lord's sovereign power. Now, I'm not going to be able to unpack that very well. But if you think about it, from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is constantly trying to reveal his heart for the world. In everything he says, everything that he does. For three years, he's saying, come follow me. Get to know me. Get to know my love for you, my love for the world, my, my mission that comes directly from the Father. And he's communicating this, not just to the good people or the people who are easy to love. He's communicating this to everybody, even the worst kinds of people. He expresses his love and generosity, kindness, care, ministering to people's needs, telling the truth, and spending time with the outcast. But nothing will communicate our Lord's love, the essential nature of his heart, for sinful people like us. Nothing will communicate that and reveal his heart like the cross. McLaren writes, Because his cross reveals to the world for all time and for eternity too, a love which shrinks from no sacrifice, a love which is capable of the most entire abandonment, a love which is diffused over the whole surface of humanity and through all the ages. A love which comes laden with the richest and highest gifts. Even the turning of selfish and sinful hearts into its own pure and perfect likeness. Therefore does he say in contemplation of that cross which was to reveal him for what he was to the whole world. And to bring his love to every one of us. Now is the son of man glorified. Think about it church. I mean how do we know. If someone really loves us. How do we know that? Is it by the elaborate gifts that they give us? Or do we actually truly come to know that somebody loves us by the sacrifices they are willing to make on our behalf? You know, every parent, every good parent, every parent hopes their children will know their love, not so much by the gifts that they give, but by the sacrifices that they make daily to provide and care for their children. Uh, you know, sadly, many children, many children fail to understand the heart of their parents. They take their daily provisions of food, clothing, shelter, discipline, and care. They take all that for granted. They feel entitled to these things, and they fail to understand that every time a mother prepares a meal, she's saying, I love you. Every time a, a father plays catch in the yard or attends a kid's game, he's saying, I love you. Most parents are constantly trying to express their love to their children, but oftentimes, as as children, we just miss the point. In the same way, Jesus was always trying to reveal his heart of love to the world, but as we observed in John's Gospel, people regularly missed the point. It was not until Jesus went willingly to the cross that the world, the whole world, will come to see and to know, and know in certain terms, Jesus loves us. He loves us all. And so through the cross, Jesus, the Son of Man, is glorified because we really get to see his heart, his love. Now, the cross also brought glory to Jesus because it serves as the throne of his sovereign power. This is a little bit harder to understand, but let me see if I can explain it to you. Remember back in John 12, Jesus says, And when I I am lifted up, 
I will draw all people to myself. Remember, he, he even cast a vision earlier in John. When he, he, he pointed back to this time you know, when Moses held up the staff with the bronze serpent and all those people who had been snake bit were healed. And when I'm lifted up, it's going to be the power of healing into the world. Right? There's power in the cross. It's, the cross is the agency by which Jesus will win the war against Satan and the power of sin. Thus it will forever serve as the throne of his saving power. Again, McLaren offers insight here. He says, if his death is his glorifying, it must be because in that death something is done which was not completed by the life, however fair, by the words, however wise and tender, by the works of power, however restorative and healing. Here is something more than these present. What more? This more. That his cross is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He is glorified there, and not as a Socrates might be glorified by his calm and noble death, not because nothing in his life became him better than leaving of it, not because the page that tells the story of his passion is turned to by us as the tenderest and most sacred in the world's records, but because in that death he wrestled with and overcame our foes, and because, like the Jewish hero of old dying, he pulled down the house which our tyrants had built and overwhelmed them in its ruins." Now is the Son of Man glorified. I love that quote. Do you see the picture? The cross is the means by which Jesus establishes his victory over death, over the power of sin, over Satan himself. Now I want you to think about something. When Jesus spoke of his glory at this hour, when this first happened, I mean, when, when Jesus is sitting at this table, Judas just left, and he says these profound words. He was actually a poor Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. He was an itinerant preacher who hardly had a dime to his name. Yet the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, and he was just with a ragtag group of friends in a little suburb of the Roman Empire. At the time Jesus spoke these words, there was no such thing as Christianity. There was no positive association with the cross. It was an object of abject horror and shame. And even when John the Apostle wrote this gospel, maybe 50 to 60 years later, the church was being severely persecuted by the Roman Empire. Christians were considered a small cult who were atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And again, there was still no positive association with the cross, the Roman cross. It was just his object of dread and Roman torture. Okay, now, fast forward 1900 years. And here's what we know. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most recognized, honored, and sacred symbol throughout the world, period. There's not even a close second. And the cross is not honored because it was such an effective tool for torturing Roman prisoners. The cross is honored everywhere because it brings glory to Jesus. The cross represents the purest form of love and our Lord's victory over evil. And that's exactly what Jesus predicted on this night when he is betrayed right here in John 13, 31. You can't make that up. It's true. It happened. And even to this day, the cross of our Lord brings strength and comfort to people all over the world. It's everywhere. People wear it on their necks. It's everywhere you go. 
It's the cross that brings glory to Jesus. All right, now, the cross will also lead the Son to bring glory to the Father. How so? Well, as the world looks upon Jesus nailed to the cross on our behalf, we come to know God's nature. For example, we come to learn of God's holiness and his unwillingness to compromise his justice against sin. God is not fickle or arbitrary. He is holy and just. The penalty of sin must be paid. Thus the Lamb of God endures a horror beyond comprehension as the Father turns his face away from the Son. We've talked about this at our our Tenebrae service, the service of shadows, right? He removes his countenance from the Son who bears our iniquities. God is holy and just. We learn of his nature and God is glorified through the Son as we gaze upon him on the cross. Now we also learn of God's faithfulness as we gaze upon Jesus on the cross. Jesus brings glory to God because God is revealed as faithful. What do I mean by that? Well, through the prophets, God had revealed that a Savior was coming, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would bear the iniquities of us all. God kept his word. And so Jesus on the cross brings glory to the Father for his faithfulness to the promises that he made. He fulfilled his promises to all of us. We also learn of God's deep love for a broken world. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but inherit eternal life. You see, because the son is, in some mysterious manner, both God and man, we discover God's undying love through the sacrificial death of his beloved son on our behalf. Jesus brings glory to the Father. So indeed, the cross of Jesus Christ, if you think about it, it it represents the perfect intersection of God's mercy And God's holiness and justice. There we see Jesus on the cross. And we get to know the true nature of God. And God is glorified through the Son. You know, I've often quoted to A.W. Tozer who once wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Truer words were never spoken. Your thinking about God, how you think about God determines your entire worldview, your answer for everything, your hope for this life and the next, your starting place for morality, your willingness or unwillingness to forgive others or even forgive yourself. So let me ask you a question. What comes into your mind whenever you think about God? You know, some people think God is powerful but capricious. Others view God as kind but incompetent. Still others think of God as cruel and uncaring. What comes to your mind when you think about God? I would hope that Jesus Christ crucified would come to your mind every time that you think about God. Why? Because it is there at the foot of the cross that we learn the essential nature of God. It is at the cross that we come to know God is just as holy, as faithful, as merciful, loving, sacrificial, powerful, and forgiving. It's on the cross that Jesus is glorified and Jesus brings glory to the Father. Amen? So let the cross inform your thoughts about God and you will think of God accurately. Finally, Jesus states, if God is glorified in the Son of Man, God will also glorify the Son of Man and glorify him at once. Uh, Here at the darkest hour of his life, Jesus sees beyond the cross to the prize that awaits him. Thank God for that, right? Because the next 12 to 18 hours of his life are going to be horrible. 
But right now he has this moment of clarity. He sees beyond the cross to the prize that awaits him. That should Jesus remain obedient to the end, should he bring glory to the Father by enduring that cross, the Father will glorify the Son of Man. Now, it might seem a little redundant, but you have to remember something. Go, go back to John 1. Because we, we get a peek into all of eternity prior to the creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? So, the, the point here is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and when he dwelt among us, he dwelt among us in a non-glorified state. I mean, he was just, he was a man. He was the God-man, but he was not glorified. He had set down his glory and taken on our flesh and taken on our, our condition. But later in John 17, Jesus is going to pray right before he goes to his death. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Did you catch that? So here's what Jesus is anticipating here in John 13:32, That through his obedience to endure the cross upon his death and resurrection, Jesus will return to the Father and the Father will glorify the incarnate Jesus, the Son of Man, with the same kind of glory Jesus shared with the Father when he was the pre-incarnate word, the Logos, who existed with Father before the world was formed. This truth is captured in the ancient Christian hymn that Paul quotes in Philippians 2. We, we, this is so beautiful. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you hear how that works? The cross glorifies Jesus. Jesus glorifies the Father. And now, as Jesus dies and is resurrected in the sense of the Father, the Father will glorify the Son with the same glory that he had before he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And he will have the name that is above all names, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. All of this is being captured in this moment, that Jesus catches up a glimpse of this before he walks out of that room into the darkness of that dark night. Jesus sees his homecoming, and what a homecoming that will be. Now, this moment of confidence and joy for the glory of the cross will soon be challenged by the painful reality of what's actually going to come in the next several hours of his life. But this moment in John 13, 31, 32 reminds us that that at least for a moment here, Jesus sees the big picture on this dreaded night. I mean, the cross is inevitable. Once Judas walks out of that room, the cross is inevitable. And, and remember, Jesus said, what you're going to do, do it quickly. I mean, but when Judas initiates that chain of events, glory awaits the Son of Man on the other side, if he endures to the end. And, and that's a glory, by the way. That's going to save you and me. It is a glory for Jesus that's worth dying for. So I know that's deep, but that's why we stopped on these two verses. Because there's a lot here. And it's important for us to try to capture that. The glory of the cross. It is powerful. It's ironic. It's historical. 
And Jesus saw it and he talked about it here in these last hours of his life. So let's conclude now briefly with my third subheading. I know you're eager to get to this point, why it matters. You know, believe it or not, uh, glory is a big deal. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, every human soul longs for a bit of glory. We really do. We're kind of glory hounds in some way. (laughs) We all long to be acknowledged, admired, appreciated, celebrated, and honored. In fact, many of us order our days, our actions, our work, our relationships in such a way that we might receive the glory that we're pretty sure that we're due. We word our emails. We tell our stories. We even diminish others so that we might get some glory instead of the other guy. We all crave some glory. But glory, in the end, doesn't belong to us. All glory belongs to our Lord. All honor, all celebration of... uh, Why? Because I know some of you, I mean, that rubs you the wrong way. You have no problem giving or receiving glory. You believe that good hard work and success should be acknowledged and celebrated. You believe that you're worthy of all those awards that are collecting dust on your mantle, right? I get it. Listen, I'm with you. I'm one of you. But biblically speaking, it's important for us to understand that glory, the real glory, belongs to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of all the glory. What makes him worthy of all the glory? Look to the cross. There you will find the king of glory crucified for our sake. For all of us. The only lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There we discover the very heart of God himself. And there glorified before the whole world is the only means by which we can be saved. So here's the problem. When we absorb glory, we draw attention of others away from Jesus who can save onto us who are incapable of saving another soul. Can you see that the Lamb of God demands all the glory so that souls might be saved in the kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven? Now, God may choose... To glorify us with the glory only he can give. Just as he glorified Jesus his son. And that is a glory that we should hope for. But that kind of glory will most surely require a cross for us. Just as it did for Jesus. God does not glorify the winners. God glorifies those who live sacrificially. There's more to say about the subject. We'll come back to it in John 17. But let us agree that glory is a big deal. It's a bigger deal than you might think. And as followers of Jesus... We need to be very careful to give all the glory to our king. He is worthy of it. Amen. Now, I'm not suggesting that people should not be appreciated or even celebrated for a job well done. Not at all. But when it comes to glory, real glory, all the glory belongs to the lamb who was slain. I pray that we will be a church committed to giving all the glory to God, no matter what comes, whether we succeed or fail, whether we are first or last, whether we're the best or the worst. Let us commit ourselves to give all glory to the Lamb. Uh, Let me just close with a beautiful benediction that comes from the book of Jude. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Church, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this moment of clarity and this dark night of betrayal in the hours leading up to so much suffering and your death on a cross that you saw the glory that awaited you. You saw the benefit not just for yourself, not just for your father, but for the whole world should you go through with this plan to endure the cross, to take on our sin, to be forsaken by the Father in that moment when he turned his face away from you, that he would never have to turn his face away from us. We give you all the glory. You are worthy of all the glory. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, we praise you. Not just because you're powerful, not just because you created the world, not just because you've been so, so good to us, but because we see you on the cross. We see your heart. A love that knew no bounds. A sacrifice that is beyond description. And there, you leveraged the power that thwarted our enemy and overcome all the evil in the world through the blood shed on the cross that your name would be the name that cast out demons. Your name would be the name that raises the dead. That your name would be the name upon the lips of every creature, every soul in heaven and on earth and under the earth. As we declare together, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We praise you, we thank you, we celebrate you, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.